Hi, I'm Laura Schultz. This is Starting to Feel Better, a podcast about healing from trauma, violence, and abuse. For the past 10 years, I've been an advocate, educator, and social worker, focusing on trauma-responsive care and victim or survivor-centered advocacy. Music is another important part of my life. Lately, I've been especially interested in the intersection between creativity and healing from trauma. In this podcast, I intend to further explore using the creative arts as a method of healing with guests who work in these fields. This is a podcast about connecting with each other and embracing all of the parts of ourselves. It's about recognizing, as Carl Jung said, that we are not what happened to us. We are who we choose to become. Welcome to Starting to Feel Better. My guest today is Katie O'Connor. She is a licensed counselor, registered art therapist, and couples and family therapist with more than 15 years of experience working with children, teens, and families. She's also a talented artist herself. She's a ceramicist and a painter. She works with a variety of mediums, and it's also important that you know that she's my sister. I think she's wonderful. I think she's fantastic and incredible and intelligent, and I can't wait to introduce you to her on starting to feel better. We began our conversation talking a little bit about what got Katie to where she is today, a little bit about her education and her background and why she is as interested as she is in art and art therapy. As a young person living in a really rural area in Wisconsin, you know, there wasn't a lot available to us. So it was community theater and local choirs and um, art classes at school. And we had like this small place called the Visual Arts Center in Wausau. That was a place that I took some classes to. And so everything that I tried, I just loved so much. And when I got to college, I had an aspiration to become a dentist. And part of that um, training was doing some fine art drawing to kind of work on fine motor skills. And that was the class that I loved. And then we did sculpture there too. And I welded and that was just so invigorating. So that's kind of where it took off. And then I double majored in psychology and art. I had a lot of fun doing some really conceptual artwork in college. And then as I got towards the end of my college career, I got interested in art therapy and then um, went on to get my master's in art therapy and kind of integrated the two of those disciplines through working with first with kids who had been diagnosed with autism and then working with um, families and individuals and parents as as I kind of developed more in my career. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's at now. I mean, I'm using art kind of more in a really broad sense in that I think when you can be creative with the way that life works for you, I think that's art in itself. And the therapeutic process of working through challenges and toward goals, sometimes you have to try something different because the old things just aren't working anymore. So sometimes that can look like visual art, but sometimes it looks like music or sometimes it looks like doing something spontaneous that you have never done. Or sometimes it's something that's very calculated that you've never done too. Mm -hmm. And that all kind of integrates into the work that I do. Do you remember the first time that you had a strong reaction to a piece of art? 
having like a firsthand experience of how clay felt and how throwing on a wheel can be very centering and grounding. And then how welding can be a different way of doing that. I mean, the the thing that I think kind of goes through it is like that personal experience of creating artwork right. and how that can be um, just very, very centering. I think for some people it's through creating music or for others it's through dance where they just feel enveloped completely in that, that moment. Yeah. Sometimes when you see someone's product, art product, you can kind of get a feeling for that, the process of it through experiencing it. Like I'm thinking of through like processy, atmospheric kind of work that would be maybe installation art where you're inside of something. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think probably for me, what grips me and engages me most is when you're a part of the process, when you're creating, maybe you're part of that atmospheric work or you're participating in it somehow. And so there's like a blur in the line between you and in the work. Like Andy Goldsworthy created some pretty cool natural structures that you can be a part of, or like architecture, like really wonderful architecture and you feel like transported by being in a structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that's what's coming to mind. Yeah. Me, right? It's so interesting that you asked that question because I don't know what I might point to as a first experience of that, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like I'm getting old when I can't remember. This is as always what I did, but it's right. not, you know? <laughs> yeah. But then yeah. again, in some ways, it probably is something that you've always done or a way that you've always thought about things or seen the world. Mm-hmm. But so especially like a sense of place, um, creating either creating a new environment mm. or bringing you into kind of an internal landscape um, mm-hmm. that pulls you out of what is directly around you. Right. It's it's almost like, you know, when I think about it neurologically, I think about getting pulled out of like that frontal lobe where you're just like, there's the chitter chatter that happens all day long and it just gets completely suspended and it's no longer a part of your reality in that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that doesn't always serve us. Right. Yeah. That chitter chatter. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's just really distracting from where you might like to be or may not even realize could exist. Mm -hmm. And then when you can get there, it's such a relief. Yeah, absolutely. When did you begin to think of yourself as an artist? And are there complications around that word? I would say that's, I mean, definitely evolved quite a bit for me over time. Initially, I think I thought of it in very like rigid terms I wanted to be a fine artist and so I wanted to use only certain materials or I only wanted to work in a certain way or show things in a certain way. And that became really confining and it could be kind of a different jail, (laughs) like of the mind. And um, 
And while it was probably a really good way to learn methodology and how to use media and how to um, navigate the art world, it, it probably came to a point where I learned enough about it that I could start to kind of break out of it. And that's about probably when I went to school for art therapy and started to learn about other people and how they used art to express themselves and that they weren't always kind of within that, that art world per se. And that helped me to be easier on myself around like play and figuring things out through art rather than um, having it have to be like an end product that's so refined, having, you know, maybe some more flexibility with my own self around it. And then it translated to being able to work with art with people who were struggling um, that helped that to offer them maybe more of a sense of freedom through use of the artwork rather than um, it being another way to kind of torture ourselves. So yeah. the way I see myself now is like I can use it in different ways than I could at the beginning. And at the beginning, it was really exciting and fun. And so learning those things was really great but now it's taken on a whole new meaning. And I think it's, it has a lot more depth. You went to school for art therapy. Yeah. And what drew you to working with people as a therapist? I think, you know, as a, as a younger person, I had a lot of really interesting relationships with friends. And I found myself wanting to be helpful to friends and feeling as if I was genuinely helpful and heard a lot of things that were real struggles for people and went very deep and internal. And so I think I wanted to develop a deeper understanding of what they were experiencing, you know, and myself too. I mean, I certainly had struggles too. I think that was part of why we probably connected on those levels with one another. Katie talks about her time in school learning more about psychology and how developing a theoretical base augmented her intuitive understanding of psychology. And it interweaves so nicely with the art world too. So like at the same time I was learning that, I was learning about different art movements and how they correlated with like movements in psychology and in particular like psychodynamic theory and how artists really took to that and that all kind of worked together mm -hmm. um, to see visual representations and ways of understanding theory through artwork. Um, it was just so exciting and fun yeah. uh, to have that at probably at that place in my own development as a person. Mm -hmm. you know, when you're in college, you can be really kind of self-focused. Um, and that helped me probably to understand myself a little bit better and the artwork that I was creating at that point in time. So one of the things that you mentioned is the way that trauma is ubiquitous, that it's everywhere, that right. it was in those relationships in high school, that those were some of the things that people were talking about and disclosing and working through. Absolutely. And then, of course, they're also in clients' lives. In what ways do you see art and art therapy and working creatively being uniquely suited for working with clients who've experienced or who are currently surviving trauma? I think the, the friends that I had who experienced trauma when I was young had a unique ability to verbalize that 
which I don't think everybody has, especially when you're very young and you experience trauma. A lot of times that can get locked in a really pre-verbal place. So art is kind of like, I think it was a young quote. You said it's the, the royal road to the unconscious. So it gets right into the place where if you start to kind of randomly make images, things come up. And I, I have a firm belief now being at the place that I'm at, having had the privilege of helping people for almost, you know, 15, 15, 16 years now to see that it, it comes up when it's ready to. So if somebody feels safe and they feel understood by me as a therapist, if our relationship is solid and trusting and they have some stability and they have found some peace in their outside life too. I think that's also really important. If that happens and that base is there, then usually things start to naturally come up. So sometimes they come up in a relationship or they come up through visual forms, right? Or sometimes they come up through dreams or they come up through, well, I just kind of had this memory that I haven't thought about in so many years, right? You know, you kind of access it through imagery, right? So maybe through drawing it out, like sometimes people just spontaneously do this, right? They'll write about it, they'll journal about it, they'll draw about it because it was such a strong experience. And then we can take a look at it together and kind of, you know, that's a safe way to express that to me, even if it's a risk. We'll look at my drawing and what do you think about it? Right. And then we can talk about the drawing and it separates it from the person. So it kind of helps to it helps to create safety because when it's so personal, it can be very, very vulnerable. And if I can talk about a picture and like, oh, that's what happened in that picture, it separates it in a healthy way. Yeah. You know, the other like the probably the flip side of the coin to this is like a dissociative experience where somebody is traumatized and then feels as if they can't be in their body or they can't be in the space anymore. And that can happen, right? But as people who are working with this and who have an awareness of trauma, we always kind of have our feelers out for that mm-hmm. and how to pull people back to the present moment, which is, yeah, something that's inherently a part of the art. You know, sometimes that can look like sound or, okay, let's just draw it get it all out. What color is that experience for you? You know, that it works really well for kids. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see kids shut down and it'll be like, well, yeah, that's red. (laughs) And for an adult, it might be like, well, I'm not in kindergarten. Like, (laughs) (laughs) right. So then it's almost like we as therapists have to get a little bit more creative about it to find the way that fits for an adult, right? Like, so for some people, they like meditation. Other people hate meditation. Like, they don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So you find ways to, like, ground people without using maybe, like, that kind of specific um, wording. Yeah. Yeah. A couple things came to mind as you were talking. I loved what you just said. I love the idea that art can be a container for the trauma, And you can use that sort of third person, uh, that container, as a way to access conversations that you wouldn't have been 
able to that they maybe wouldn't have been able to without that. Something that we use in EMDR that is very much the same as my training in art therapy is like a container image, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be you draw a picture of it, you make a sculpture of it. It can just be, what would that be? Is it Tupperware? Is it like a garbage bin that you have a lock on? And then that image can be like a reference point, like a memory device to say, okay, I have permission to take this experience of trauma and put it to the side, but know that I'm going to come back to it because it does need my attention. That's the reason it keeps coming back up again. Right. The container is such a nice functional device, right? Yeah. Like you say, it, it can be another person in the room. Right. And when you can put, when you can put the projection onto it of an image or something like that. So for little kids, oftentimes it's a monster, but mm-hmm. I think as adults, sometimes we see that in people around us really strongly, you know? Right. And then we have a really strong reaction or a response to a certain personality or someone that we might have just met, but we feel really strongly like this just doesn't feel right. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. That can be a reminder of like, Oh, that's something that needs my attention. Right. All right, so Laura here again. I wondered what Katie thought about options for people who wanted to engage with art therapy but who had negative experiences with art that might block them from engaging with a modality like art therapy. I've worked really hard to expand my tool set so that there isn't just one way that I can work with trauma. I can work with it through um, talk therapy. I can work with it through EMDR. Mm-hmm. I can work through it with art. And so people feel like if this is right for you, you're welcome to do it, but it's not the only way, right? I mean, trauma, you just feel like you don't have any control. That's like the, the center point of it. And I never, ever, ever want anyone to feel like there's only one way to work through it. But it, it is interesting. You know, there are people that I think surprise themselves and become interested um, through the process of facing whatever mental health challenge it is at the time, that it just becomes more and more of a helpful way mm-hmm. once they kind of try it out. I have moms who come to me who say, you know, the only time I really feel like myself is when I'm sitting down with my kids to make art with them. Oh, wow. And, you know, they're suffering from just debilitating anxiety, um, that is, is very, very, very hard for them. And that's art therapy, you know? And so I appreciate it for that, but I don't have to hit them over the head with it. You know, like they know that's what works. And so that's something yeah. that we nurture, but then that can like somehow naturally evolve into something that becomes a part of them. So for those listening, right when this podcast comes out, you know that we're in the middle of a global pandemic with many of us working from home, only leaving where we live for essential needs, juggling responsibilities, and our own feelings of sadness, isolation, fear, anxiety, and unease. I wanted to know how Katie was doing, how she was coping during this strange time. I don't know, maybe they're not what would be suggested in a book, but I think <laughs> to get out of reality sometimes, you know, and yeah. watch some old movies and try to take care of yourself in the way that works best at the time. I've heard that from a lot of people that they're going back to shows 
that they've already seen that just feel like a warm blanket. I know what's going to happen. There's no surprises here. I'm so sick of surprises and not knowing things. Yeah, enough of it, right? I need some knowns. Right, exactly. Something predictable, something known that I can just settle into. Right. And, you know, I think about that too in terms of trauma, right? That takes us out of our own um, self so many times. And because of the experience, it's so disorienting. It's hard. I mean, this is a collective trauma. I would call it that. Um, it takes you out of what your reality is. And so sometimes it's even hard to access or remember what was a show I enjoyed, uh, right? Because you're in that fight or flight mode, it's hard to remember that. So right. being able to find your way back to something like that is kind of, that's really nice. The way that I like to end the podcast is through this. What's something that someone could do right now to feel more grounded or centered or help them through an intense, maybe unpleasant emotion. Yeah. You know, if you're going to try something that's kind of a classic art therapy, I have really enjoyed lately thinking about Dan Siegel, who's a, he's a psychiatrist, the way that he describes things. They're nice and simplistic, but they're also, I think, applicable for adults and for kids too. He's got a technique he, he calls... Um, naming to tame. So noticing, first of all, like if you're having an overwhelming emotional experience, what that emotion might be, because a lot of times it's hard to identify the emotion even. So maybe it's many emotions, maybe it's confusing and allow yourself to kind of feel it on a sensory level, right? So ouch, that, that feels tight in my heart. My throat feels choked, kind of noticing that. And then if you have art supplies, getting something in front of you that you feel can be soothing, okay? So this can be different for different people. Like if you're familiar with drawing with pencils and that's the one thing you feel comfortable with, you get a pencil. But for other people who kind of have different experiences with different media, maybe it's like chalk pastels because they kind of grind in and you can kind of like move them with your hands. For some people that's activating, right? Cause like it's messy. <laughs> so then you might get out watercolors and that's kind of soothing and slow. It kind of slows things down. And then just kind of noticing whatever that emotion is, what is like, what's the color you associate with it? What do you, what do you see when you, you think about that emotion? Right. And just try to put it down on paper. So that could be a symbol that could just be shapes and colors and then keep doing it until you feel it get all out of you, right? Mm-hmm. So you might need a, a stack of paper mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe after one, you kind of feel that you've gotten it out um, and then you can look at it and maybe observe it and try to just do it in a way that creates space, right? Mm-hmm. So like, oh, like that shape is really big. Non-critical language as much as you possibly can, right? Sure. I know that can be really, really hard, um, but maybe taking a friendly approach to our own selves too. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sometimes that frees up things like, what do I wish I could see in the picture, right? What's a surprise that might come up in the picture? And maybe kind of taking a, a little bit of a step further at that point. And then just noticing, like, does that bring me 
some more insight into what the situation is that caused this emotion. It kind of takes it from that pre-verbal place where we kind of don't know why is this so intense to now it's in front of me so I can kind of look at it. So it externalizes yeah. that internal. That's great. I like that. I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. <laughs> great. Cool. Well, thanks for talking to me today, Katie. Good to be with you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You can check out the show notes for links to some of the things that Katie and I talked about. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Starting to Feel Better. Intro and outro music was recorded by Goodnight Gold Dust. Again, full disclosure, that is my band that I'm in with Colin Scharf, Michelle Roach, and this album was recorded with Zach Arney.